Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and a soul awakener. I'm joined today with Dr. Crystal Kohler. Dr. Crystal L. Kohler, DBHMA, the trailblazing founder of the Virtual Brain Health Center, is on a mission to revolutionize brain care for everyone. As a doctor of behavioral health and a holistic brain health expert, she brings nearly two decades of unparalleled expertise in working with individuals, families, providers, and advocacy organizations, specializing in brain-related diagnoses. With her groundbreaking work in translational and applied brain health science, she has garnered a collection of prestigious international and national awards. Her innovative brain health programs and services have left an indelible mark locally, internationally, and globally. Dr. Crystal, welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you today. How's it going? It's going well. It's hard to believe the fall is here. I feel like summer went by so quickly. Part of me realizes I didn't spend nearly enough outdoor time in the summer, especially when I wake up feeling chilly. I'm like, oh, shoot. And I also do love the fall. Absolutely. But it just also reminds me that some of the chores I don't look forward to, like walking the pups in the morning when there's snow and ice on the ground. Not so looking forward to that, but I love them and they deserve it. So it's wonderful to see how sometimes the seasons let us reset or recalibrate our routines or let us know, notice a little bit more what maybe has been missing and what we could add in. And I, I live where there's four seasons. So I've learned to appreciate the time spent in all four of them, although it does look different. So fall is here and I'm ready, like you said, to be outdoors a little more when it's not so hot. Yeah. So Dr. Crystal, tell us a little bit about your work beyond your bio and also what are the moves that you're excited to be making right now? What a wonderful question. I can say this summer transitioned moves I did not imagine. So my background has been mainly working with aging adults, their families and caregivers in this broader brain health space. A lot of times it's people living with malcognitive impairment, dementia, along the aging care continuum as well, neurodegenerative disease, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, and others. And this summer has been a shift to sharing brain health with children, doing some school initiatives, have a children's book of brain health coming out. I acknowledge my niece for the role that she probably played in igniting that conversation after spending time with her this summer and just seeing how kids ask for or express different needs they want for their brain from a cold washcloth on a hot summer day to wanting to play to asking for quiet time and reflecting after spending most of my time with adults and realizing we don't necessarily ask for those things or articulate them the same way children are. So what happens across our lives where we overlook how nice a wet wash rag can feel when it's really hot and just these small things we can do every day to nurture ourselves, mind, body, and spirit. I always think our brain care. So the mantra for my work has always been sharing brain care for everyone. And I really, this summer offered an opportunity to pivot back to work. I started with as a teenager working with children. So I'm excited for those moves of what the opportunities can unfold. So are you still working with elder adults as well? We are. We're running some groups currently piloting a project looking about sharing how to live well with dementia, where brain health is a large component of that. And so it's interesting to to see how brain health shows up for everyone 
at different ages and the similarities and some of the differences as well. So I get to learn a lot along this journey as well. When you talk about geriatric brains as it relates to children's brains, are they similar? No, I think that's a great question. And, you know, we really looked at it with the idea of what's the research show? We're talking about ways to take care of your brain and brain health. It's back to the same basics, how we move, how we breathe, how we connect with others, engage our brain mentally. And we can share that message. We talk about it differently with adults. And we talk about it a little differently with children, but the sentiments are the same and how different those conversations can be and how that looks when we're asking people, what are you doing to take care of your brain? And that's the way I've always envisioned the big picture of our work is people having those conversations and that being a part of our norm. And if you spent time with children, they don't shy away from asking those questions or questions to learn. And how we can make that part of our everyday conversation. Because I think even for some of the work you do, it's a different world we would all be a part of if we're all doing something small to take care of our brains and ourselves for how we show up. So that way, in effect, we can help take care of the collective. I love that you brought up that kids aren't afraid to ask. What What is that? I When I think of There's like this big span of your life where you like mind your P's and Q's and you don't ruffle feathers, but kids and older adults, like elderly adults, they kind of don't give a shit. (laughs) I think it's this interesting part. And, you know, I have to admit, I, I learned a lot from my niece. I spent my time with her this summer. So, you know, they say you're the sum of the five people you spend your time with, right? So I added in a beautiful, brilliant five-year-old and just watched with how she interacts with the world and what she was doing to take care of herself. And much to your point was, she didn't think about it. And so I kept thinking, well, she's asking for quiet time, a cold paper towel on a hot day. So what happens as we get older, where we put these restraints that we're too busy, we're just going to wipe the sweat off our face on our shirt, because we're not going to pause. So and then even at other age points where it does shift, where we do get a little more mindful of where we invest our time and our energy and how that starts to show up differently. And I think that alludes to your previous question though, too, is it gets us back to these basic tenets of, we have known all along how to take care of ourselves, but sometimes our priorities shift, how we nourish to feel better, how we keep ourselves hydrated, how we're moving with intentionality and connecting with others. And much like you said, too, I think that's the beautiful part is we're building better brains together through everything we're doing. What are the kinds of things that might be common between a child's brain and an elder brain? And what kinds of things do you do both the same or differently with each of those? Great question. I think a lot of it is we tend to overlook that when we're thinking about brain health, it's all the elements of our well-being. And so it's our nutrition, how we're moving, how we're socializing, connecting with others. I like to think broadly, it's where we're investing our time, our money, and our energy, and where we can make small shifts to help us feel better. And that may look different. When we're younger, we're in school settings, we're around a lot of people. Intuitively, that's how our days are structured. Versus as we age, the opportunities we may have to interact with other people look different. And we may have to shift our intentionality 
we may have to seek out friendships and nurture them differently than when we were spending 18 years with the same group of people aging together and you're having lots of people just around you. And so I think going back to those core components of brain health, which is our basics, our breathing, how we're moving, how we're engaging our brain, how we're nourishing with the whole idea to flourish the best that we can, just talking about the same concepts differently, but seeing what still may work for for people all across the lifespan. For, For kids, it's teaching healthy food swaps. For adults, it's pretty much the same thing, but we have our own preferences. And so seeing how we can honor those and help educate people around the steps they can take to achieve better brain care. Is it that we just didn't pay attention to brain health like a hundred years ago? Like what, what, what's the, and what do our brains even look like anymore? There's just this element. I'm getting a little philosophical here. Literally none of us that are on in this space and time have survived a pandemic or gone through a pandemic. And so even the things that we knew going into the pandemic, they already weren't working. And then like the pandemic pushed them even further. So now there's all these people out here across the generations incurring different types of trauma day to day based on what they were brought to feel safe with. No, that, you know, I, it's a perfectly appropriate question. I would say from looking back, I had to read some journal articles about this of when the term brain health came online. Initially, it seems to be 1980s ish, but really started to become more part of our conversation now, even just how many times it's in journal articles on PubMed up into the thousands really starting 2015 and beyond. We talked a little bit about it earlier in the 2000s, but now to really bring this out, I think the pandemic helped shift a lot of the conversations around health and well-being and brought some of these elements where leaders and organizations like the World Health Organization have noted social health is just as important as physical and mental health, but we didn't society placed as much value on that. And then we all live through this collective experience that caused a shift. And I think a lot of that brought forward, what's the health and well-being components we need to be more intentional and thoughtful about for ourselves and our communities. Our brains and body are navigating a world that we weren't designed to be a part of. And especially for the brain with how quickly technology is growing. And even as you mentioned with a pandemic as well, we've been forced into these situations and environments that we weren't designed to navigate. And so now we're thinking our brains are going to perform and we're asking, you know, these cognitive outputs like focus and attention and environments that aren't meeting our needs or even our physical needs where we're not able to move like we used to and movement looks so different or it is in these environments so restricted and limited. And I think it's taking us back to that idea of the basics. And I think giving us time to reflect or even go within and thinking back of what do our brains and bodies need now and how can we intentionally fold that into our day and nurture our overall health and well-being. I think that's a huge part of this brain health conversation is what we're asking of our brains to do doesn't always meet this intentional design historically as well. And how can we maybe redesign Mm -hmm. our lives and our lifestyle and our environments to help us thrive? And that's a very big holistic picture, just like you said, but 
it's a very important one where we have to realize is it's not so linear that because this is now the world we live in, that this is how our brain is going to operate. We have progressed in some ways, but it's not always been in the best ways that support the function of our brain or even how our bodies want to optimally move and navigate the spaces we're in. And when we talk about brain health, there's like two things that come into my brain. One, which is historical. It's like, I feel the only conversation in mainstream is around either, which I'm so glad mental health is at the forefront, 1000% mental health. And then, but there's also this element we hear about these days, like in mainstream, it's either like brain tumors or cancer or mental health. What I hear you talking about though is brain health and how to keep your brain healthy, right? So how does that differ? Is mental health the same as brain health? That's an excellent question. And I can say I answer it from my perspective in training, not having clinical degrees as a mental health provider, but I view it as this huge continuum as brain health is this big umbrella and underneath we have these other dimensions of our health and well-being, where of course mental health is a foundational pillar. And I think a lot of that has shifted with the conversation around brain health. If we would have been talking about this even a few years ago, the thought of the field was brain health was for anyone that doesn't have a chronic health condition or an acute health condition, no mental health issues. And you can probably think pretty quickly, well, who's left at this point? We're all likely managing something in our health and well-being that may not be in this norm range, but we can live well with a chronic health condition. We can live well with a couple chronic health conditions. People live well with brain-related diagnoses, like you mentioned, TBI, stroke, brain tumors. It looks different. And so some of the recent statistics that came out in a survey this year showed that eight out of 10 people are living with or touched by a brain health concern. Because rather than taking it down to a specific disease state or mental health condition, we're just pulling it out to the fundamental elements are very similar under brain health. And so when we think about how many people it impacts, it's around 90% are lifestyle and 10% genetics for brain health. So really trying to give that education and awareness to people to take charge where they can control things and work with providers across their spectrum of care for where they need the medical health or mental health attention and and those types of things. So how do we balance it? But I think for most of us learning 90% of our lifestyle is within our hands for our brain health can be empowering, but it's a lot to break down as well. Yeah. I mean, because we only ever hear about the ailments seemingly Mm -hmm. rather than like the proactive things that we can do. So good news about all of this is that there's so many of us emerging as the healers, teachers, entrepreneurs, like we have our expertise in our own spaces to help people that don't know where to start in some of these ways to figure out what the navigation forward looks like for them specifically. Cause again, it's not one size fits all, but it is something that it's work that everyone could or should be doing. So. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful space to be in is around this idea of brain care and it's an investment for sure of our time and our energy but a lot of what we're being peddled is a a huge monetary investment that 
not as necessarily in alignment. You may invest in working with a coach and programs for you, but it's not this thousand dollar equipment or supplements right. and things that may have a time and place. But I think there's been this market that's also part of that back end as yeah. well that has really sold people this whole idea of if you buy this, you're, you're going to feel so much better. And really a lot of it is it's back to those things of investing into yourself and where your energy is that I think a lot of us in this space are are helping people get that education, awareness and guidance to and that is a lot different than the, the marketing of some of these other places. And even I have people approaching me, they're like, why don't you make all of your teaching or content a course? I'm like, because I don't want to lose that human connection. Me talking at someone through a screen is not how I want to show up. No offense to anyone that does that. It's just not what I want to do. Folks, we got to do the work. You got to want to do the work. And it's really, it's all about going inward and saying, what do you need? So it's pretty different and awesome. I watched something, I watched a documentary recently on Netflix called uh, How to Change Your Mind. And it's exploring four psychedelics. I will say I haven't followed that much of it recently. I would love your thoughts at some point. Maybe we can have like a, a next part, but about how psychedelics, um, there was so much misinformation back in the seventies on the war on drugs and no medicinal use. And now they're all illegal, but they're actually is medicinal use. And, you know, it's just kind of interesting. So. Yeah. It's, I would say from what I do know, it's very interesting. I had that bookmark to watch. So you might really be my, my one to actually, you know, say, Hey, we go watch that. Cause it's just, it's one that's out there. And I'm like, I haven't read enough of it recently. Cause it's just like you said, there was so much misinformation yeah. about it. Cannot wait to hear your thoughts. What's the biggest thing that somebody maybe thinks that they're taking care of their brain that doesn't actually make that big of an impact? And what my head goes to is like, well, I take fish oil every day. Yeah, I think for people to really recognize that, you know, brain health is 90% lifestyle and about 10% genetics. And so if you think about that holistically, there's a lot of things under that lifestyle umbrella. And I think for a lot of people, it's thinking brain health is just one thing is always the initial misconception where it's like, well, I drink my water or I eat my healthy fats. And it's not recognizing that, you know, your diet and hydration is linked to your physical activity. It's linked to your mental performance, as well as your emotion regulation and how you're connecting with other people. And you start to realize there's overlap in all of these. And then at times it seems very overwhelming because you're thinking, okay, I have like five or six areas that I've neglected or I'm not doing real great in, and we get discouraged, but we start to realize as you focus on one, there is a spillover effect to these others, but there's always places that we're probably doing pretty well in and other places we can improve in. And so I think when we start to really recognize that, unfortunately, people will come and say, well, what's the one thing? Well, one thing is different for all of us based on you know where our preferences and priorities already are. I can meet people that are already have a solid physical activity routine. And that has been a very important part of their lives for many years. And we have other people who don't prefer to move. It's if they're moving throughout their day, but the idea of intentional fitness doesn't sound real great to them. And so kind of just honoring that idea, our, our research can show you this huge checklist, but we all have our personal preferences for what, we want to prioritize. And I think that leads to your comment too, is a lot of what we do is help people realize that personal preference. And where do you want to start today? Where is your comfort point? 
where can we start to make those small gains? And then how do we continue in that this is a lifelong journey for all of us and it is going to ebb and flow. Yeah, it's so interesting. I used to work many years ago before I went out to the corporate office for the vitamin shop. I worked in a store first and the biggest thing that I always heard was everyone wants to take fish oil, but they didn't want to taste fish. And, you know, there's just, it, the conversations were fascinating about how to think about vitamins and supplements. And there was this extensive education that we went through at the store and it was, it was a lot of fun. It's actually where I got into more proactive things I could maybe help with. Yeah. It's always that balance where it's like, you can't supplement away a crappy diet. But it's also recognizing the crappy diet is not just the food you're eating, mm -hmm. the people you're spending time with, it's the information you're consuming. It's where is your energy flowing to your diet is kind of all of these other things. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at that holistic picture too. So a lot of the things, like you said, one good thing can't wash out all of these others. It's not that exact science just yet either too. I love that you say your diet includes any consumption. Yeah. I think when we bring that back out, you start to realize that and it's come up before. And even some of our groups, when we just realize what all the things we're a consumer of in that information and where it can take us to emotionally, socially at times, I think we've all been part of a conversation where everything shifts and we're like, we don't want to be in this room anymore. Yep. That's happened too. And so just, just to realize and be in tune with some of those, you are, you are getting some of that information as well. And it's information to you too, about your health and your own well-being. And I love the idea of being able to give yourself permission to remove yourself from anything that doesn't feel good or serving you. And sometimes we're like, what do you mean serving me? I'm like, well, okay. Think about your highest self. And if someone's never thought about their highest self or like what that could be, that would be its own exercise. But think about your highest self. Does this people, place, or thing help serve your highest purpose or your highest self? Does it breathe life into your highest self or does it deplete it? Then you start to realize, oh, all right. So me having road rage, that doesn't serve my highest self. And it gets me into a bad space. And you're putting energy out into the universe that maybe you don't want back. So Thinking about all the types of things you're consuming, even the things that you think and say is all part of the, the structure. So I hope everyone recognizes that it's never too early or never too late to make a change for your own brain health and wellness. And so hopefully you can find one thing. There's always one small thing we can start on and keep going. So I always like to encourage people. That's even what the latest research is showing us but just start somewhere and keep going. And we'll all start to see those cumulative effects of this idea of better brain care for every single one of us. When I'm scrolling through, you have so much going on. Brain Care Summit, you have a neuro nook, you have a book club, you have a podcast. You said you have yourself a book coming out. You have a lot of moves that are happening. Thank you for highlighting that because sometimes I feel like you're just doing the work and then we're seeing how things come together. And so when my colleague and Leanne and I committed to a, the idea of a virtual brain health center, we wanted to share brain health for everyone and we wanted to make sure it's accessible in different ways. And so we have found out the different mediums we can use are wonderful. And then also people gave us the ideas. A lot of times people are asking, well, what book do you recommend? Well, let's have a book club, whether you've read the book or not, 
join in, come join us for a conversation on brain health and take away something. And then if you want to invest your time or your money into the book, you can. But if not, you have some of those insights that are within the pages of that book. So we wanted to find just different ways to break down these topics and honor that much to yourself, like having a podcast, people are taking in information in different ways. And so when we were starting to see what are some of those avenues people use, a lot is web-based. Podcast is another way because people can fit those into their lives. They can continue lifelong learning, a key element of brain health, that some of these things for our investment were making sense to just keep sharing our message and giving it different ways to be accessible to others. One of the posts that strikes me, and I'm hoping you can share more about it. So it was about seven and a half lessons about the brain. (laughs) What were those seven and a half lessons? Are you able to share? Yeah, we broke down the book by Lisa Feldman Barrett. One of the things that our group really honed in as a key message was thinking our brain's main job isn't for thinking. Like we tend to have the assumption our brain does our thinking, our brain's controlling our bodies too, and brought through the notion of our body's energy resource. And so when we start to think about our mental energy as an effort, it's also acknowledging what your body is doing for you every day that does take energy. And on certain days when we may be in heightened states of stress, we're very tired very quickly. And so just to kind of start to tune into that mind-body connection a little bit different and to recognize your brain's main purpose is not just thinking. That's one of the key outputs we want our brain to do, especially for brain health as well. We say it's thinking, feeling, and doing is brain health. Well, that's not all the brain. That's your brain in your body and with your body together. That was one of our key takeaways was to remind us to think about how we utilize our body's energy with our investments as well as our cognitive energy, when we know we're putting thought into something that's challenging to honor the role of our body in that too, because we can quickly dismiss that sometimes. What helped you to make the decision to open Virtual Brain Health Center? What made you want to strike out on your own? It's a great question. My, My journey had been brain health within senior living Senior services, community-based services broadly um, was where most of my work was. I landed my first exciting job working for one of the largest senior living offices, corporate, something very new to me from my, my modest nonprofit background. And then when I disclosed I lived with migraine disease, uh, my job offer was rescinded with the assumption that I couldn't perform the job and I misrepresented myself. To be honest, that was rock bottom. Um, for a long journey there. And I think it just made me realize if I was willing to go do this for someone else, for a salary and a job, why not do it for myself? And of course this happens and the next thing you know, a pandemic comes. So it was left the time in this space to say, let's just try this. Let's put it out there. Let's see what happens. I had a $5,000 grant that helped support our launch. And have been figuring out now, next month we turn three years old. So sometimes it feels as though those things are happening to you. And I look back and I realize that happened for me. Because if it didn't, I still would have been looking for those corporate jobs, which I have now and then. And then I just have been completely redirected back to this space. So now I'm honoring this time in my life where it doesn't look like what I thought it would, but all the amazing great things I get to do, the creative projects to work on, 
the collaborations and following along with the journey with some trust in that, which has been a process on its own, but it is an exciting part of, I think the process is when you recognize this happened for me. I don't think I would have had the courage to do this on my own. I got the nudge. And then I just got the, well, if I'm going to do it for someone else, I'm going to do it for myself. And lo and behold, here we are. But I had a great colleague, Leanne, by my side too, to say, let's do this. Kudos. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of any woman, any human, but especially women that over the pandemic, the pandemic, you see thousands and possibly millions of people having been forced to go inward over pandemic. Women like you and me struck out on our own and opened our own businesses, knowing that we are not wanting to be in the copy paste world anymore and to flourish well beyond any limitations that might be set upon us by the maybe past hundred years of conditioning. Oh, you worded that so eloquently and our brains must be on a similar wave because I would look back at the pandemic (laughs) with that time. That was the time I needed to go inward. So for me, initially, it was a gift, mainly because I wouldn't have allocated that time. I wouldn't have done some of the things that I had the opportunity to do, even with my own free will to say, take a few months off. Think right. about what you want to do. Experiment. The The whole idea of the tinker, dabble, doodle, and try is so out left field for me, but had an opportunity to do that. And I, I think it showed up very differently for other people as well. But I know for me, it was the time when I needed some time to go inward and it gave me that space to do so. And I also was reflecting back to is during that time, my mom and my stepdad both had health issues. My mom had a very rough go with COVID. And just the fact that I was in the space to help, it wasn't necessarily easy. I mean, she was hospitalized. She moved in with us. It was a whole transition for a while to then get her back independently living at home. But the idea that I had this space and creativity and support where it wasn't, I have to quit a job. This is the level of care required. I look back and I'm like, what a gift. Because even throughout the times in my life when you make decisions for family or career and certain things, and it's like, it's hard for women. I look back to when my grandmother died and I went from her wake to doing a CEU event because I was early career professional and I was expected to show up. And then because I dare showed up to deliver my talk, I was expected back at work at 7am the next day with no bereavement time. And it's, You look back at these things that were so strange, but you just, you do it because it's the air quote right thing to be doing, or that's the narrative that you've been told, this is how to show up as a good worker. These are the expectations to now, when I look back as I've always been the square peg in a round hole, (laughs) wherever I seem to have been, and it's okay to not fit. I think that's the hard part is to recognize you could stand your ground. And when I look back at the experiences where I've chosen to spend the time with my grandma with dementia and got a B in a grad class. It wasn't earth shattering to me then. I had more people upset about it than I was. And I'm like, this is just life. This is the moment in life right now. And now 10, 10, over 10 years out of grad school, no one's ever asked me about my grades or my performance, but those lived experiences help balance the knowledge I have into, I think, make me better for the work 
that I do. And so those times where I have to make decisions that I think are so innate to us, because we know our emotions and ourselves at times, and we're being going against the grain, it's, this isn't going to work. And so, yeah, I think the pandemic gave time to stretch those legs and break out of the box. We didn't necessarily know we were really being confined to. And so I do appreciate that time that it it gave for me. I it would not have done that on my own. Same. You brought up something really interesting about what you and I as young professionals were just expected to do. And it was part of the, like you said, not just the expectation, but the made you a good worker, made you a good employee, made you someone that was be able to climb the ranks as it were. There's this notion that I've been hearing recently that without that kind of suck it up mentality that we had when we were younger, Gen Z is wholeheartedly refuting that, like saying like, we're not going to have a suck it up. There's this notion of maybe X and boomers or even probably millennial, anybody older than Gen Z. There's an idea out there that because they are bucking so hard against that suck it up mentality that they will not have the same work ethic as we do. You know, I've heard chatter about that in different spaces, whether it's, you know, colleagues in academia who are, who are training future professionals to the workplaces and really some of this. And I, I don't know about yourself, but I feel like I kept the instances I had that were a challenge to myself and then slowly talk with my friends or other women. And then you're sitting at a table and you realize every simply brilliant, beautiful woman you've been around has had multiple of these experiences. And we're like, we've never talked about it. Well, then what are we going to do? And so it's that finding the space when you're able to, to talk about it and having an impact. And I always thought before in my role, that was for my direct reports and staff. And that was the space in the role that I would hold as being in a loosely defined leadership or supervisor position for that, but seeing how it's okay to speak up or to set the boundaries or expectations and to honor them. I would always say, you have the time off. How would we do this? Well, you can still call or text me. It's like, no, there there is nothing I need that is that important. This is your time. Go and enjoy and honoring those boundaries that are so quickly people just run over because we're so tech and tucked in <laughs> to everyday lives. Your your work emails are on your phone and, and vice versa and just really trying to set some of those parameters. And so I am grateful to see other people recognizing this maybe wasn't healthy for my mom or I saw my aunts and my grandma's grandparents go through this. I don't want that for myself. And really, I think it's interesting to see how they seek out the tools and articulate it. And from my experience, it has not been in what would be deemed an unprofessional way. It's very much just this is my normal language. I'm I'm advocating, but it's also when employers give you benefits, they're your benefits to use. I mean, when I left my first job, I was maxed out on PTO (laughs) doing what was formerly jobs of five people um, and being expected to show up in that way. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say to that. I was only at the organization three and a half years and PTO was like a new policy within the year and a half. And so it's just, we set up some of these things with good intentions. And then when people act on it, have these high responses, but how to make sure we have that balance. And I think COVID was really showing the the scales were way too uneven before, but a little bit more were now workers 
have that empowerment too. It's not just you can be replaced like some of the companies that was the value. Well, if you don't do it, we'll find the next person who will and seeing all the changes we can make that have value. So I like to say I honor the people who spoke up before me or it had encouraged me of you can say this and it's not unprofessional. It is just appropriate. And I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And I think as leaders are changing or hearing their teams, what they're asking for, it's a place that more people want to be a part of. Beautifully said. I have two things that come up in my response to that chatter right now. One, Gen Z. Hell yes. Mm -hmm. Buck the fricking system because it's broken. Second thing that comes up is to your point, we have, what is it? Four main generations living on this earth right now that are so vastly different from one another that it can cause a lot of resentment, anger, like what I was just feeling just now, because you and me should never have been expected to suck it up and to put aside our well-being. There are so many people right now in the older generations that are very much staunch opinion that that's just what you do. And I love that Gen Z is having the audacity to say, that's not how I want to do it. Amazing job. Millennials, we felt it. We still did it. And now we're seeing the fallout of all of that, just sucking it up because we were, we literally ran ourselves into the ground for our jobs in our twenties, thirties. So I'm trying to get an intergenerational conversation going so that each generation can come and say what they feel and think and what they experienced to honor and hold safe space for all the generations. It's going to start out with like women. So women of boomers, women of X, women of millennial, women of Z, and we come together and you're allowed to be angry, sad, resentful, like, and we air it in a safe space and we give the full space so that there's not just like chatter and assumptions happening. It's like really an intentional conversation about whatever it is. We might start with like women's health, you know, to find some common ground. And then we get into more because I feel like without that intergenerational conversation, there's going to just be become more of the same, or there might be because Gen Z is coming in so unapologetically and it's gorgeous that, you know, there could be some growing resentment toward them or a gap, a huge gap in the changeover and leadership, as you were saying. And so I want to help bridge that rather than have it be so staunchly different. I just have to honor the initiative that you will take to hold a space for those conversations. Cause I know just from my time I had with my mom of her healing through COVID and with us, I had conversations that were different with her than they have been. And when I realized right now she was my age with two small kids when she was widowed from my father for five years of a cancer journey. So I'm like, well, that would be a lot to go through at this point in my life. And then when she just shared what she went through in the workplace, being a single mom, just like that, wanting to keep the job, food on the table, roof over the head. And it's heartbreaking when I heard some of the stories that she went through. And it's just, you don't want that. I would never have wanted that from my mother, but that was the air quotes, the times 
I wouldn't want that from myself. And I also wouldn't want that for anyone younger than me. So how do we come together and have a space that may challenge some of these norms? But as you mentioned earlier with the systems, sometimes they just need ripped down and rebuilt. It's deciding is it's worth salvaging or do we just rebuild? But in doing that, the space to have those conversations and the collective power and wisdom that everyone has from their journeys and their families. And I do believe we will be a part of a better world from conversations like that. Thank you. And I want to invite you into that if you're open to joining. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do, because what I'm seeing right now is that whatever generation you're in, you're trying to hold on for dear life to whatever feels safe or comfortable to you. And because of that, that shows up as something else to another generation. And that creates misalignment. And so to your point, it's like bringing everybody together. What was your experience? Let's lend empathy and grace to that. And then knowing we still have Boomer, X, Millennial, and Z all in the same workplace working together, and they all feel differently. How can we start building bridges together, building new bridges? And I think you'll see the values that we all share end up being typically more similar than they are different. But much like you said, it has shown up different in the lives that we have lived and the chance to reimagine the lives we want to live in the future and then how those values now look different and are present. What a beautiful thing. Uh, I can't wait. As we kind of wind down here, what would you say to the people that get it, that like get what you're trying to say about proactive or overall brain health, but also the people that might not get it and only pay attention to kind of what, when there's a problem, is the message same? Is it similar? Is it different? Excellent question. I think the first thing I would want people to know is their brain care matters. And it's something you're doing every single day. No one's out there walking with fantastic brain health that just acquired it overnight. It is a lot of the things you are intentionally seeking out to do. And the best way to build that is one thing a day. Do one thing a day that's better for your brain. So for me, I'll eat some fruit rather than the chocolate that I want in the afternoon. But one little thing, a practical thing for yourself. And as you start to build those in, you start to get this more comprehensive and robust options that fall under brain health. And it can be small. If you're not sleeping well, go to bed 15 minutes earlier, five or 10 minutes, and get yourself back to prioritizing your sleep. I suspect many of us probably have that idea of, I'm doing something that's not good for my brain. It's bad. But I could do this that's better or cliche good. And just start making those tiny shifts. And to please realize this is not a monetary investment that costs you thousands of dollars. Most of what we're talking about under brain health is free. It's the way we're living our lives. And so if we can shift that intention and energy to a few minutes outdoors, see how much better you feel in the afternoon, those practical things. So my only caveat I always give is just be weary if someone's selling you thousands of dollars in products for this great brain health, because it's a lifestyle. It's the things you're doing. And unfortunately right now, you're not getting that in a tablet form or, or a capsule either way, but you can take charge of your own brain health and it matters for yourself. And we know when we show up better, that spills over to our families, our friends and community. So to not negate the footprint you have for those that are closest to you when you are doing your own brain care. 
Amazing, Dr. Crystal. Where do we find you? We are simply at virtualbrainhealthcenter.com. Closing remarks. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope we all can be on this lifelong journey of brain health together, but no, we can take some charge of this. We have an active role to play. And so I'm excited to see where our brain healthy communities will be in a few years together after this conversation as well. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks, Dr. Crystal.